It is uh, great to be with you guys this morning. Love being here with you, and um, this is always a special thing. Don Trauger, as he was greeting people this morning, was saying, you know, I heard David Jeremiah say something this week. He said, um, Christians, Christians need to look forward to church more than they look forward to anything else throughout their week, and there should be this just like anticipation of Sunday. And Don said, you know what? I didn't feel convicted at all. I really look forward to church, man. That's my favorite thing. I'm like, that's cool, Don. Way to go, buddy. That's great. That's fun. And, uh, and it is, it's great to be together in the house of the Lord. Um, we're going to be finishing up our Spirit and Truth series today. This is the last in the Spirit and Truth. This thing could go on. We could talk about uh, the truth of the Word of God and the Spirit of the living God and how those things influence every facet of our life. We could go, I'd love to do one on parenting. That's one that I thought spirit and truth around parenting would be a really good one. There's a number of other topics that I really thought through. Maybe, some, maybe we'll do spirit and truth round two at some point and get into some other stuff. But today we're talking about spirit and truth citizenship. What does it mean to, to engage in our world and to live appropriately in our world, in our nation, in our country as uh, people who carry both the truth of the word of God and the spirit of the living God inside of our being? You know, and we ascribe to both those things. How does that affect the way we engage the world around us? That's what we're talking about today. And it's funny because, you know, there's a lot in the headlines this week about politics, isn't there? I mean, the whole thing of like the IRS targeting certain groups, uh, getting targeted more than that was kind of a big deal, wasn't it? I mean, that was a really big deal. You watched uh, President Obama call for the resignation of the chief of the IRS. That's a big deal when that happens, isn't it? I mean, you could make a movie about that thing, I'm sure. Like, that, that, that's a big, big deal. Um, and, of course, there was uh, Minnesota uh, became the 12th state to legalize same-sex marriage. And there was a law passed in Arkansas this week that was a very strict law around abortion. Um, and there was uh, – there's um, – the gun control stuff's all over the place right now. All politi- big political issues. You know, what's interesting is there's this guy, the doctor in Philadelphia. This is funny. Talking about current events, I feel like I'm Jay Leno or something doing stand-up at the beginning, except it hasn't been funny so far. That was my first joke right there. Um, as, yeah, I need help. <laughs> I need a better writer. Um, so anyway, uh, there, there's the guy, the guy in um, Philadelphia, the doctor, you know, the, the whole uh, – uh, terrible atrocity that's going on with that doctor and he's in court and you know the funny thing is is when i hear about that court case and this guy being prosecuted around the the abortion thing i don't know about you but i cannot help but think politics about it and all i mean is is that i can't hear the word abortion without thinking politics you know I, i just can't because it's been such a political issue you know, and so it's really what's really interesting is that there are th- this guy's on. He's on a trial right now. Right. He's he's on a trial. This is he broke laws that are clear laws in our country. And he's on trial like anyone else who broke a law. And yet because of that word that's attached to it, you have to think all of a sudden it, it ignites this thought of politics, which is really interesting because there's absolutely nothing political about the case necessarily in and of itself, you know, but we find that there are words that are attached to political camps that do this thing when you hear them, and it kind of, like, 
Doesn't it make it feel different than if you just heard about a murder case that was happening in Philadelphia of this doctor, even if it was a doctor with medical malpractice? And uh, I remember there was some, something like a year or two ago about someone who was doing uh, plastic surgery stuff and was doing it illegally, and a, a few people had died in the process. And it was kind of the same sort of thing, like real dirty, kind of nasty. And, but there was something about the fact that the word abortion was there that I was like, my mind went to politics. And it's amazing how that happens. You know, I find that right now with all the political issues that are going on in our country and the struggle in politics, that there are some Christians who are really asking questions right now about what do we, what is our role in this? You know, like, honestly, what is our role? We believe in the word of God. We believe in biblical values. We believe in the truth of the word of God. We understand that the, the, the scriptures are a governing body for those of us who are followers of Christ. But then, you know, there's this other thing called the government, which isn't necessarily all about following Christ. You know, it's about trying to establish some sort of authority in America, but it's supposed to represent the people. And, and the people of America are a very, very diverse people, both religiously and values and all sorts of things. And what's the Christian's role in all of that? And how much should we expect or demand that the values of the scripture be the guiding values of the government? And when they don't, you know, what is our prophetic voice in that that says, hey, if we don't submit to the Lord, what's going to happen, you know, and all of that. And then there's this whole other question that I find Christians asking, and it's this kind of dilemma, this polemic that's kind of set up. And the other question is that Christians are saying, when the when our job is to reveal Christ, right? Our job is to be the light of the world. We're to be the salt, which is the preservative of society. And we're to be the light, which is revealing the glory of God. And in the light of the world, so then people ask this question, when the world looks at the church right now, what do they see? What is the vibe that they're getting? Is it the spirit of Jesus? Are they, are, are, does the, is, is what the world is perceiving for coming out of the church, is that the spirit of Christ? So now there's the truth and the values of Scripture and how do they affect the government and the society and all of that and how are we supposed to have the truth of, of the values of the Word of God be a preservative in society and also is the Spirit of God coming through His church in order to, to show people God's heart, you know? And that, those are the, that, that's the questions that I hear Christians bouncing around right now. And I think that's a really good question. Those are really good questions to ask. You know, and I don't think this is a simple answer. I really don't. I, I don't think it's very simple. But I think that the discussion's worth having. Sometimes politics become one of those things that it's like when you get close to faith, you just it's dangerous to even talk about it because it can be such an explosive issue, right? And so I don't know if we should even talk about that because it causes division, you know? We find division happens when we start talking about politics. But does Jesus cause division? Ah. ah, and this is where our journey begins today. Does Jesus cause division? Okay, you know, um, here's the thing. Uh, I love America. I think America is the greatest country on earth. I do. I really do. I think it's the greatest country on earth. I'm just putting it out there. I'm going to say it. <laughs> I, I, I Call me old-fashioned. I think it's an incredible country. I think the idea of America is awesome. I think the people of America are awesome. I love America. I love what I am able to do when I'm in America. I love the, the land of America. I love when I'm driving through certain 
places in the woods where there's these espens going through Pennsylvania and you see the trees all over and it's gorgeous. I love when I'm up on the Rocky Mountains and I'm looking over a landscape and I'm like, oh my goodness. I loved when I went to San Diego and I sat there on the beach actually in the water on a board and I'm like, I love America, you know, and there's so much that's fun about America. And when you look across the history of America and the stuff that's come out of America and the ideas and the technology and all, America's an amazing place. The culture of America, so many different cultures converging and creating this one crazy culture. You know, America's a spectacular place and in many, many ways has revealed the image of God. You know, it's really a beautiful thing. And I believe that it is not by any of our merits that we were born in America. You know, it is completely and totally by the grace of God. And I don't believe there should be a day that goes by that I shouldn't wake up and say, thank you, God, for the breath that I'm breathing. And thank you, God, for the country that I live in. You know, you have given me so much. You've given me so much. I live a blessed life. You remember when we talked about the resources, right? To whom much is given, much is also required, right? And so we need to ask when it comes to this country that we've inherited by the grace of God, what is our role within it? Are we called just to consume America? Or are we called to be salt and light in America? And, and what does that look like for us? And these, these, are, these are really important questions. But the thing is, is America, while in my opinion is the greatest country on earth, it is still very much on earth, you know? And any place on earth is inhabited by earthlings, humans <laughs> and earthlings and humans have this thing that's a problem about them not me <laughs> us we have this problem of course and it's called sin and sin gets its hands in everything and in a place like america where we try to have a government that represents the people you know a, a democratic republic what the, the ideal the ideal is that the government actually reflects the people and looks like the people. And to a degree, it really does, you know? And uh, what that means is, is that the sin that inhabits the heart of Americans will also reflect itself in the government which governs over us, you know? And so we, as a people, have sin in our hearts, and our government has sin all through it, and there's all sorts of messed up stuff. And because of that, America, like every other country and land on earth, will experience the struggle, the destruction, the disintegration that is caused by the selfish, human, deceitful heart. And that's just biblical. That's just straight Bible. You know, And it's also a history lesson. We can read anything in history, and it shows what happens when sinful humans are in charge of things we mess it up eventually. You know, no matter how good it is, that's what we do. You know, we're really, really good at messing stuff up. And, uh, and, and that's just the sin that's in us because we're selfish. But you know what the good news is? Gospel. Good news. Is that even the greatest country on earth, as it's disintegrating, is not the hope for me. The hope for me is that there's another country that's not on this earth. That there is another nation, there is another people, there is another land, there is another kingdom. And its citizens dwell on earth, but their citizenship is not found in earth. Last week when we talked about the resources, we heard the words of Jesus speaking to us through the Sermon on the Mount. And he's saying, 
to his children, us as children. He's saying, do yourselves a favor. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on where? Earth. Where the moth and the rust can get in and destroy it and the, steves, the, the thieves can break in and steal. The steves can break in and... <laughs> That was good. Uh, where the thieves can break in and steal, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And in the same way, what we'll hear Jesus saying to us today, through Paul, through Peter, through his own words, we'll hear him saying, don't make your home on earth. Don't find your identity here. Your citizenship, no matter how good the country, don't have your citizenship here. Your citizenship is in heaven. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. Let's read Philippians chapter 3. You can join with me. Stand and read along. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. This is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, speaking to the church in Philippi, teaching them how to walk appropriately. Verse 17 of chapter 3 of Philippians. Join with others in following my example, brothers. And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. We being the apostles who came and taught to them. Verse 18. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, and their glory is is their shame. Oh, I I skipped one. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything, everything, everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, you, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. And may God add that blessing into our lives, not just from the reading of it, but be like a seed going down into our heart and change us. You can have a seed. I'm going to read one more passage before we pray here. And this is in this is in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you can turn with me to 1 Peter. This is another apostle, and he's not writing to a specific local church. He's writing to the broad church, okay? As a matter of fact, if you look at, uh, if you have your Bible and you look at the first verse of uh, 1 Peter, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that's a sent one. Well, an apostle is one who's sent. He's a representative, a sent one from Jesus Christ to God's elect, okay, those who are chosen by God, strangers in this world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, people from all over the place, all different types of people, all over different nationalities, different races, different genders, different from people from all sorts of different places, Two, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ by, by, uh, to, by his blood. Sorry. This is who Peter's writing to. 
Paul was writing to a, a specific church in Philippi. And, and when Paul said this, wrote to that church in Philippi, what was he saying? He's saying there's two different kinds of people, right? Two, there's two kinds of people, those who have their mind on earthly things and those who find their citizenship in heaven. And he said, many live as enemies of the cross. And then he gives a list of three things that describe those who live as enemies of the cross. First of all, their destiny. Where was their destiny in Philippians? Do you remember what that said? Destruction. Okay, so it's headed down. And, and that's human history, right? We see it. We see that when sin inhabits something, it is headed toward destruction. Ultimately, it goes toward destruction. Secondly, their God is their stomach. Listen to that. Their God is their stomach. Is that not like beautiful imagery? That was Holy Spirit inspired art right there. That was imagery. Their God is their stomach. How do you worship your stomach? Like, you know, contemplating my navel. Is that what that is? You know, like this is the, the, the worship of the stomach. I heard, um, John Ortberg, uh, who is, you know, a pastor out in California, he said this wonderful thing. He said, well, it used to be that what it meant for people to serve their stomach was that they were worried about what food they'd eat. Now for them to serve their stomach means that they're trying to get a six pack, you know? <laughs> and, uh, he said, one way or the other, our God is our stomach, you know? And so the, the, the truth, I guess when you're living in California, that's how that rolls. But the, the truth for us when it comes to the God being stomach is this, this is, this is a picture of the craving of the flesh, right? So the things that this world has to offer, if this is all there is, if this earth is all there is, and this is what I live for, then I want the best that it has to offer. I want the food it has to offer. I want the drinks it has to offer. I want the indulgences it has to, you know, that it can afford me. I, there's, there's the sexual element, the, the sexual pleasure. There's the materialistic pleasure. And, and so the, 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 what it says in Philippians is there's those two kinds of people. And one live with all about thinking about the pleasures of this world. And they serve those things, whatever it takes to get the next meal, whatever it takes to get the next whatever. And then he ends with the third description. He says, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Which is really interesting because you would think, how do you contrast glory with shame? Because glory means like you're emanating. How is that shameful? Well, because the last shall be first. And because those who humble themselves in the sight of the Lord will be lifted up. And so if I am all about self-promotion and getting big and looking good and all of that, well, then I am not honoring God primarily. I'm honoring myself. And that's going to put me in a situation where ultimately that's going to lead to my own shame because the reality will be revealed. And so there's that, that way of life, the way of life that sees just this world. And I don't know about you, but I feel convicted when I read that passage. I honestly do, because, you know, there are certainly moments where I'm thinking about the next thing that would be nice to have, or like, you know, I'm like, man, I'm really hungry, man, I'm really hungry, man, I'm really hungry, you know, and I just, and of course, God gave us cravings. There's a reason why those things are pleasing, you know, but there are times when the desires we have, whether they're materialistic, whether they're physical, whether they're sexual, whether they're social, whether they're whatever they are, those things can govern our lives. 
And, and when we are living in an earthly mindset, that's the way it is. But then, and then there's that beautiful thing of our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you flip over to Peter and you see him now not talking just to the church in Philippi, but talking to these people who are scattered all over the place. And what does he say? You who were called to be sanctified in Jesus Christ. What's sanctified mean? Someone tell me what sanctified means. Set apart. It means you are set apart. And he uses the word stranger here. He says, you guys are strange. You guys are awkward. You're weird. You know, you are bizarre in this world. You are called to be set apart and different, strange, peculiar, different than everyone else around you. That's what you are called to. That's what you were called to. And then when we get into chapter 2, he really starts to show us what his vision is around that. So here's our, the, the second passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Okay, and it says, But you are a chosen people. Okay, this is all those people spread all over the place, all over the known world. You are a chosen people, chosen by God, a royal priesthood. What does it mean to be a priesthood? That means that their job is to go to God on behalf of those around them. Okay, so there's this world of people all around them and they are chosen, set apart, pulled out from the world by God to represent those people to God, to go to God on behalf of those people. That's their job, the priesthood. That's what the, and he says, you are a holy nation. Love the word nation there. Really? It's a nation? Because I mean, where's the government? Where's the, where's the land? You know, it's funny. You are a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may, and here's the purpose, declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, to proclaim the fact that I have been brought out of this world and been brought into another one. Verse 10, once you were not a people. Of course they weren't a people. They didn't even know each other. They're spread all over the world. How could they be a people? But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires. Do we still use that word alien at all? We use it in two ways. How do we use it? What's alien mean? Oh, yeah. Okay, so Martians. Yeah, okay, people who live in Mars, which don't exist. Mythical creatures who uh, we talk about are from some strange, peculiar land far away. Okay? And that would be a pretty accurate description of what it means to be a citizen of heaven. We come from a land far, far away. We were born once of water here on earth, but then we're told we were born again of spirit. Hello, we come from another dimension. We're straight alien, you know? And, uh, but the other way that we use the word alien is to refer to what? Yeah, someone who, who's in America and doesn't have a green card, basically, who is, you know, is here without an ability to legally be here. That's referred to as alien. Okay, which there's another thing there. Do we have the same rights? Do we have the same stuff living here on earth? We don't live under the same rule. Once we are, are born again in spirit, we're, uh, we're outsiders a little bit. We don't live in the kingdom of earth. We live in the kingdom of God. We don't belong to the kingdom of darkness anymore. 
you know? And so uh, it changes things, okay? So we're called to be aliens and strangers. We're called to be weird, to abstain from sinful desires which were against your soul. So if we're different, this is part of what makes us different. There are those who live as enemies of the cross. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Ours isn't. We don't live that way. We live differently. It says, live such good lives among the pagans. And what are the pagans? That's those who don't know and walk with God. Live such good lives among them, those who we are priests for. Remember, we're priests for those who are around us. We're to live such good lives among them that though they accuse us of doing wrong, and they will, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Faith without works is dead. Talk is cheap. If Christians will inhabit a lifestyle that reveals that we are citizens of another kingdom and that we serve something different, then it will, in fact, back up the message of the gospel, okay? So then you get, this is, this is where he really breaks it down for us, okay? In verse 13, he says, but you basically, you still do live on earth and you still do live under your government. So how, as citizens of heaven, do you handle living on this earth? And this is what he says in verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Hear that? We submit ourselves to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right, For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. That's where he's saying, our lifestyles, that's that's the whole, like, that's basically Peter saying, put up or shut up, right? That's what he's saying. He's like, our lifestyles silence the talk, that we can talk in such a way, but really whether we live a certain way is what silences people. Verse 16, this is a good phrase right here. Live as free men. Okay, we're to live in freedom, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Notice the contrast between the words servant and free there. Okay, we are free to serve. That when we live in the kingdom of darkness, we are chained by our selfishness. We are chained by the desires of our stomach. We are chained by all those things. But when that is broken off of us, we are free to be a servant of the living God. So then how does it all break down? Here we go. Verse 17 is where show proper respect to everyone. Everyone gets what they're supposed to get from us. Okay. And how does it work? Well, says this, who are we supposed to love? The brotherhood. Who's the brotherhood? We're looking at it. Look around. You're looking at it. The brotherhood. This is who we're supposed to love. Right here, in this room, we are supposed to love one another, love the brotherhood. And then we're supposed to fear somebody. Who are we supposed to fear? God. You remember the words of Jesus? Don't fear him who can take your life. Fear him who can do far worse after your life has been taken. That's a scary phrase, isn't it? That's a, what? But that's what Jesus says. That's what he says in chapter 10 of Matthew. You know, don't, so we are to fear God, the one with all the power. And then there's one left. Who is that? The king, the government. And how are we supposed to deal with the government? How are we supposed to deal with the leaders? Honor, love, fear, and honor. Okay? Respect. Give respect 
here. Give honor here. But we fear God and we love the brotherhood. That's the outline. That's how it works. When we understand that our citizenship is not primarily American, but our citizenship is primarily heavenly, it should change some things for us. It should really change it. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be Moses and grow up in Pharaoh's palace, being creme de la creme in the palace, and then discovering one day, whoa, I'm not Egyptian. I'm Hebrew. I didn't, I wasn't born in the, in the, in the palace of the, of the Egyptian king here. I was born somewhere out there where my mom and dad are beat with the whips of the people who worked for who I thought was my dad. You know? Imagine how that messes with the head a little bit when he's, he goes through an identity crisis a little bit, doesn't he? He goes out and he starts whipping up on an Egyptian guy and putting him in his place because all of a sudden his whole paradigm on who he belonged to started to switch. Because he's like, I thought I was Egyptian, but there was always probably this internal tension a little bit about like he didn't really fit in some way. And then it's like he becomes Hebrew. And and the scriptures don't give us a whole lot of drama around that, but Hollywood helps us out. If you look at like watch Prince of Egypt or you watch like the the Bible series, the the documentary, the Bible series stuff, like it shows this whole thing because you kind of have to. Like how did that work out, you know? And Moses coming to terms with the fact that I belong to something different than I thought I did. You know, and when we find out that our citizenship is in heaven, when we're birthed again into a new, when my birth certificate is not held in in some building down in Washington, but my birth certificate is held in the Lamb's book of life up in heaven, it should do something to me. It should it should mess with my head a little bit. You know, it should kind of reorient the way I view life and who I'm close to and who my authority figures are and how I relate and where my power is. And, you know, like all of that stuff should shift when I start to realize truly that I am born in heaven, that I am born of God. You know, that's what we're told, born of God, really. Okay, so what does it change? Well, it changes where I find my sense of belonging. You know, I... Yeah, maybe, maybe something happens in you when you hear Bruce Springsteen singing, born in the USA, you know, and maybe that does something to you, you know, maybe that, that gives you a sense of, of, uh, of patriotism, of, of camaraderie, of citizenship. But what happens when we read the scriptures about being born of God, you know, because this is our primary identity is to be born of God, is it not? And so it should change the way. But, you know, the funny thing is throughout the history of America, there have been moments where where it's a a unified country, very unified country, and people have a lot of camaraderie in being American and a lot of identity found in being American. These days, something's kind of shifting, isn't it? Something's really shifting around people's, uh, like it's almost a shock to hear me at the beginning say, I think America is the greatest place on earth. And I, you know, like you just don't hear that kind of patriotism around America. What you do hear is you do hear that there are people who still identify themselves politically, right? But they identify themselves not in one camp of America, but in at least two camps. And what are those two camps? Republican or Democrat, right? And so, you know, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. 
What? Indivisible. You know what that means? Can't be divided. Really? Indivisible. You know? Are we divided right now? Not in truth, in spirit. Are we divided? In spirit, we are a very, very, very divided place. And not just in two camps. We're divided all over the place. You know, almost every house is divided from the next house because we have the kingdom of Tim and the kingdom of whoever. And and we barely are loyal enough even to a political party. We're loyal to our own kind of set of ideals. But there is this thing where there is division in our world, in our in our American world. And what we find is is where people tend to lump each other and group each other is in political parties at this point, okay? And, and so that's why when you hear that word, when you, when you see that doctor down there on trial in Philadelphia, politics, bam, why does it come up? And the reason is because I've learned to identify myself. We've all learned to identify with certain parties in the country, and it does this thing to us, okay? Now listen, all of us need identity, and we need identity in something bigger than ourselves. We all need it. We went through the spiritual gifts class over here. And uh, one of the things that I'll often do in a premarital counseling is I'll take people through either a personality testing or a spiritual gifts testing to help them to know kind of how they work and how the other person works to say, hey, when you put this with this, there's sparks that fly right here. Okay, and so when that starts to happen, come back and let's talk again, you know, and so we do that in premarital. When we went through the when we went through the uh, the spiritual gifts Sunday school class and we talked about, you know, there's seven foundational gifts that God scatters throughout humanity. And and I believe that all people inhabit at least one of those gifts. They they have one and they kind of fit in there and it kind of describes in our spirit who we are, like our spiritual DNA. And as people walked through that, started to find themselves and say, huh, that's who I am. There I am. I found my camp. I'm that gift, you know, and we get aligned with that gift. But that's just one gift in the whole body of Christ, right? And so it's not actually who I am. It's the member of the body of Christ that I am. But who I am is, is I'm part of Jesus. I'm part of his kingdom. And same thing in premarital, you know, there will always be the laugh and the banter around our personalities and all of that because we lump ourselves into categories and those categories help us understand how we function. The problem is, is that we also start to find identity in those categories. And then we get competitive around those categories. And we think that this camp is better than this camp and this camp is better than that camp and then this camp gets all of this and this camp gets all of that. Anytime that we are in Christ, in the brotherhood, and we divide ourselves, it's a scary thing. Now, what I mean is this, is that division inside of Christ is not okay. But Jesus, he does this really peculiar thing when he talks about division. And it's in Matthew, or it's, it's in both Matthew 10 and in Luke 12. But we're going to look at the one in Luke 12 real quick here. Luke 12, turn to verse 49 of Luke 12. I have come to bring fire on earth. What's the fire that Jesus came to bring on earth? Holy Spirit. What day did the Holy Spirit show up? Pentecost. Do you know what today is in the church calendar? Okay, just making sure. Today's the day of Pentecost. I have come to bring fire on earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. Jesus is sitting here walking on earth. What is he? He's the what become flesh. 
The Word become flesh. That's truth. He is the truth. He is walking truth. So here is the truth of God walking on earth, saying He's come to ignite a fire, the Spirit of God at Pentecost. And oh, how I wish it were already kindled, but it's not quite here yet. Verse 50, I have a baptism to undergo. And how distressed I am until it's completed. He has to get buried in the earth and resurrected out of the earth. That's his baptism that he has to undergo before the fire can come and inhabit the people. And then he says this really weird thing in verse 51. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother and mother-in-law against daughter and daughter-in-law against daughter-in-law. I'm getting lost in here. Name in every family relationship there is and saying they're going to be divided because of Jesus. So does Jesus bring division? Jesus brings unity and Jesus brings division. One day he walked into a temple, his house, and he overthrew the tables and all of that. After he had weeped, we talked about this before, after he had weeped outside of the city, wishing to bring them like hens under his, uh, like chicks under the hen's wing, but then they wouldn't turn and they wouldn't receive him, so he goes and he overthrows the tables and everything. And then there's these religious leaders. And the religious leaders are also, they're they're also political leaders. It's always a weird thing to mix politics and religion. You know, it it does weird things because it's hard to figure out how the balance is. And so, you know, lots of times Spanish Inquisitions can happen and, you know, the crucifixion of Jesus can happen, you know. And so here Jesus is and he's standing here with the political, spiritual leaders and he's interacting with them right after all of this event. And he starts to tell them a story because he knows what's going on in their heart. And he says, you know, there was this guy and he owned a vineyard and the people were mismanaging the vineyard. So he sent his servants over to the vineyard and said, hey, go and tell, the, tell them to, to submit to me and pay me what I'm supposed to. What did they do to the servants? They killed them, right. So then he said, he keeps sending servant after servant. They keep killing them all. So eventually he says, I'm going to send my son. So he sends his son, and his son gets over there. And what do they do to his son? Kill him. And then he says to the, and Jesus says to the religious leaders, he said, what, what's that master going to do with those, those people? And then they said, oh, man, he's going to tear them apart. And then Jesus says something very interesting. He says, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. This is the stone that makes men stumble and the rock that makes them fall. You will either fall upon this rock and your life will be shattered to pieces or this rock will fall on you and you will be crushed. In other words, you will either be broken before me or you will be crushed by me because I am the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the world is held together by me. And you either submit to me or you don't. And without Jesus even trying to hurt anyone or hit anyone, it will cause division that when the truth shows up in the scene, when Jesus in the flesh, living truth, steps into the temple, you can bet that it will cause division always. 
Jesus will always cause division because there will be some whose citizenship is on earth who want to control things and who don't want to submit to Jesus but want to be gods of their own lives. And then there are those who will choose to make Christ their God and their life will fall to pieces and they will look strange and bizarre and awkward and yet they will be citizens of the kingdom of God. And he will always cause division. But for us, for us, it is not on us to cause division because this is what Jesus says. The parable, another parable he tells is this. He says that there was the, another guy who owns a vineyard and he owns a field and he plants wheat all over the field. And then the enemies come along and what do the enemies do? They sow seeds of what? Tares, the weeds, okay? And then the servants are like, oh no, like what are we gonna do? Because now all of a sudden there's weeds that are growing up inside the wheat. And so they're like, they go to the master and they say, do you want us to start pulling the weeds up? Because we gotta get rid of the weeds. And what does he say to them? He says, don't pull up the weeds. Don't do it. Because if you go to pull up the weeds, what will you also pull up? The wheat. And we won't have a harvest, you know? In other words, Paul says it a little more clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, it's not for me to judge those outside the church. God will take care of that in his own time. It's only for me to judge those inside the church. In other words, unity can exist inside of Christ, but outside of Christ, unity can exist. And it's not my job as a Christian to go and try to make everyone else fit into the mold of Christ when they're not actually submitted to Christ. That's not my primary job. I am to be salt in this world. I am to be a preservative. I am to be light in this world. I'm to reveal something different. But I am not the one to go and cause the division. Jesus causes the division by his very presence. It is not my job to go and fight for Jesus. Jesus can fight for himself. It's my job to submit to Jesus and to reveal Jesus through my life. I want us to look at one other thing here. Ephesians chapter 2, okay? And then I'll button up the loose ends and bring it together. Ephesians chapter 2. This is Paul speaking again, starting in verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier. Who's the two? Who do you think the two is that he's talking about? Just a guess. Jews and Gentiles, the big division, right? Uh, and so he's made the two. This is, the, this is like Palestinians and Jews, you know, like that whole divide right now. It's like, that's ancient history. Still working itself out right now, you know, the Jew. And so he says, for he himself has, is our peace who has made the two, any division he makes one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two and thus making peace. I guarantee you that no matter what division we have ever experienced in our life, whether that's racial division, whether it's gender division, whether it's political division, whatever it is, it is not as intense as the Jew-Gentile one. Okay? It's just not as intense. In America, we haven't experienced what, what they experienced. That's, we haven't experienced that level of it. And he is saying to those people who are that divided, I will make them one inside of me. Okay? In verse 16, And in this one body to reconcile both of them through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. 
He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Listen, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and... Really? Didn't Peter just tell us we were supposed to be aliens? Paul and Peter always do seem to fight about stuff. You know, know, and so... Paul is saying we're no longer aliens, but Peter's saying we're to be aliens. Why? Because what Paul is saying, watch, you are no longer, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. We are no longer aliens of what? Heaven, the kingdom of God. But Peter's saying we are aliens now, aliens on earth. Right? So what happens is, is when you start, at first we're lost and it's only about earth, and then God brings us back, and we got a green card to heaven, you know? And, and our names are written in the, in the Lamb's Book of Life, and we are born again of spirit. And now all of a sudden our citizenship, our birth certificate is in heaven, and we look back at earth, and all of a sudden we start to realize, oh, I don't fit here anymore. I fell on the stone, and my life was shattered, you know? And things are changing. And everything that I took my security in is changing. It's all shifting because my identity is being found somewhere else. And he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Chief cornerstone. In other words, there's a whole nother government. Whole nother sense of authority. Different place where power is found. Different place where security is found. We are, to submit, we are to honor the king here on earth. But it's not where we find our security. It's not where we find our hope. It's not where we get our power. Our military strength doesn't compare to the power of God. It is better to put your trust in the Lord than in trust in princes, is what Psalm 118 says. Listen to this. I just read this the other day. It's amazing. The sun, uh, one square yard of the sun, you know how much horsepower comes out, constantly coming out of one square yard of the sun? Any guesses? 130,000 horsepower constantly coming out of one square yard of the sun. That's 458-cylinder automotive engines coming out of one square. That's a hot rod right there. You know, at one square yard of the sun, putting off 458-cylinder engines worth of energy out of every square yard of the sun. You know how many yards there are? I have no idea. ton of them. Tons and tons of yards. You know, you know, and the funny thing is, is the sun itself is one in a hundred billion orbs that orbit around that make up the Milky Way galaxy. A hundred billion orbs. One square yard of that one puts off that much horsepower. If you held a dime up and you held it out like that, it would cover up 450 or no, 25 million, 45, this is 45 million stars would be blocked out of your view. If you took a dime and held it up like that and closed your one eye and looked past that dime, there's 450 stars behind that dime that you can't see. God made it all. He made it all. Here's my question. Why would I be afraid? Why would I subject myself to thinking that the source of power is in a man or the source of power is in a political party? There's no power. That's not power. Every authority on earth, every authority in heaven finds its being in one place. We are created 
and destroyed by a living God. And that's it. We are chosen, elect, called, sanctified, pulled out, placed in America, and then called out of America, born in America, and then called to not be Americans, but to be heavenly citizens who learn how to truly be good citizens in America because our citizenship is actually in heaven. And so this is the, this is the long and the short of it. This is the practical application of it. If my citizenship is in heaven and, and, and my trust is in God and my trust is not primarily in government or in the strength that it wields, but if my trust is primarily in God, then here is the practical outplay of it. It means that I can go and get thousands and thousands of people to join my team about some political idea or some topic that I have and I can go and petition the government and it'll be a blip on the radar or I can go home tonight and I can get on my knees and I can bend the ear of the living God and I can change the world forever. My founding fathers are not so much Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin. They are founding fathers of this country. But my founding fathers are people who sat in an upper room in Jerusalem on this day, Pentecost. And they prayed and they prayed until they saw fire fall from heaven. And when it did, the world was never the same again and it'll never go back. And America eventually will go the way that other nations did. I don't know how soon. I hope and I pray that there will be renewal and revival and awakening in America. But I know that what's going to turn America around now is not going to be politics. It's going to be the hearts of people who are changed because the power that emanates out of the sun is not nearly as amazing as the power that can transform a human heart. And God can transform a human heart and no government can. And what I believe is, is that the power that allows us to fight, to find identity, to rally around and to support and to say, this is who we are. We are children of God. We are princes in the kingdom, princesses in the kingdom, wielded with, uh, 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 given enormous power. Enormous power to be ambassadors of God. And we are to be the preservatives of society, salt in this world. And we are to be the light, the, the, the glory bringers. And how does it work? Well, it doesn't work by how the government defines anything. How it defines sanctity of life or how it defines marriage or how it defines any of that. I'm not saying those things aren't important when it comes to the government. What I'm saying is, is our definitions are far more important. Second, First Timothy 3 says this, the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth, which means What will happen in our society isn't determined by what the government defines as truth. It's determined by what the church defines as truth. In other words, what I teach my kids will change the world. If I teach my kids the truth of the scriptures, it will have long-lasting effects on our world. But if I get uh, some some policy passed in the government that defines things this way or that, it's only going to last so long. It's like putting my money in a bank on earth, the moth and the rust and the, the thieves. It's going to go somewhere. But if I will take the truth of the word of God and embed it into the lives of my children, it'll change the world. And what it means is, is I can lobby and, and do what I can to try to manipulate the government and, and, and get it to, to represent appropriately. And I'm not, again, I'm not against all of that. What I'm saying is, is that my lifestyle is way more important than my lobbying. We're told as citizens of heaven, how we live our lives gives an answer for the hope that we have. 
that what should happen is my neighbors are looking at me and saying, how do you still have hope? Honestly, we're a mess. How come you still have joy? How come you walk through your life with peace? How come? Well, honestly, because I'm not a Republican or a Democrat or an American nearly as much as what I am is as I'm heavenly. And you can take away my country and you can take away my money and you can take away my whatever. But what you can't take away is that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and I'm going to live there for all of eternity. So that's the God who I serve and that's the identity that I have and that's the security of my life. So I will live my life not pounding and complaining and struggling about our government. Instead, I will spend my life the way that I'm told in 1 Timothy to spend my life on my knees, praying for my governing authorities, praying for those around me, because the power of God is available to those who will tap into it. My lifestyle will give it authority because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and it's effective. And so good citizenship, the truth of good citizenship is that that citizenship is in heaven, not on earth. The spirit of the citizenship is this, that when people look at me and when they look at the church, what they shouldn't see is some special interest group who's lobbying the same way every other special interest group is hoping to get a little slice of the power of the pie from the government. Instead, we walk in with massive confidence And say, have you noticed that my dad is the king of the universe? (laughs) And I love you, and I will honor you as my king. But I'll tell you what, I am not afraid of you at all. And I don't need your power at all. And what happens is, is all of a sudden, there's a stone upon which people will fall and be shattered. Or there is a stone that they will be crushed by. And it won't be based on how they receive Christians. It'll be based on how they receive Jesus, because as they receive us, if we're representing him, they're actually receiving him, right? And so this is our role. We don't want to jump the gun. We don't have to get defensive. We don't have to be scared. We don't have to push our agenda. What we have to do, hold on to the truth. Teach the truth. Live it out. Walk in it. Experience the joy of the Lord. And then get on our knees and wield the power that he's given us. And it is immense And today, if we will walk in that confidence, if we will stand in the gap as a priesthood of believers, a holy nation, people from South Korea, people from China, people from Ethiopia, people from Latin America who join us in this nation today, not this nation of America, in this nation of God. And if we will get on our faces before the Lord, and if we will cry out to Him, He will still honor the commitment that His people, as they turn back to Him, as they seek His face, and as they pray, and as they turn from their wicked ways, He will hear from heaven, and He will come to them, and He will heal their land. Not because of the work of the government, because the prayers of His children. Amen? That should be a call to us. Spirit, of a good citizen of the kingdom of God is the spirit of Pentecost. It's the spirit where our forefathers got on their knees in a room and changed the world forever. It's our turn. It's our turn. This is our spot. This is our day. Let's get on our knees. Let's believe. Let's hope for God to renew his kingdom here on earth. Let's pray.